in a time where dissenting voices are silenced, suppressed, and deleted, this is your place to hear the raw, real truth about what's going on in this crazy world and how you can hold your power and thrive in life through it all. Here we cut through the BS big tech censorship to bring you what you really need to hear to help you remember the infinite potential and power you hold. From spiritual connection to natural health remedies, history and corruption, to mindset, manifestation, and so much more. This is your place to hear the truth and to be inspired. Welcome to the Uncensored Truth Podcast with me, Dr. Seth Gerlach. In this episode, we talked to Jody Mishek. Jody healed her son's autism naturally, even when doctors said that she could not. In this episode, we talk about her journey, uh, resources for other parents going through the same things. We talk about vaccines, how to find your bravery, and even things like camel milk. Yes, camel milk. This one is full of resources, full of hope. You're not going to want to miss this. And thanks for tuning in again. This week, we're having one of my dear friends, Jody Mishek on. Hello, Jody. Thanks for coming on. I'm so excited to be here on your podcast. Thanks for inviting me. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, we're going to talk a lot today about all kinds of things. But first, I want to introduce you to Jody. So Jody is a warrior, author, activist, coach, and companion. She partners with parents to demand more, be it from their doctor, their school district, or local government. She's an autism turnaround expert and natural wellness coach. Jody leads her membership group of warriors to advocate for children and link arms to affect change. Love it. She has published two books. I've got them here. Uh, created a line of provocative merchandise and will never wear a mask. Yes, ma'am. You can find her on a mountain hike, teaching an online class, on alternative medicine, baking with her kids, or traveling to speaking engagements. I've spoken with J uh, Jody. Uh, that was an awesome time. She's a freedom fighter and a change maker and has an army of parents right behind her. You can connect with her on socials at the Warrior Center and uh, thewarriorcenter.com. Jody, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. I'm excited to dig into all the things. <laughs> this, is, this is fun. So we collaborated with Health Freedom for Humanity. We've spoken on the same stage. I've reached out to you for some health stuff and vice versa. I just really appreciate your fighting spirit, especially the last couple of years. I think we've come together in a lot of different things. Uh, I just think you're a badass mama bear, and I'm excited to get into your story today a little bit more. So without further ado, let's get, let's get into your story about kind of why you do what you do. And I think it all comes back to, um, Lincoln, right? Yeah. So, uh, years ago, so we'll, we'll kind of go about, I'm going to say at this point, 15 years ago, which seems crazy that how fast time flies, but also I would like to just throw out there that that brings a lot of encouragement too, right? 15 years ago, I, I had a very different perspective. I had a very different viewpoint and um, was definitely in the thick of trying to figure out what was going on with my child. And I think um, for a lot of parents, when they're facing something like a label or a diagnosis or something that is going on with their child and they can't quite figure it out, or they're, they're not getting really the truth. They're not getting a lot of hope, a lot of real answers. You feel like you're kind of flailing in the wind a bit, right? And so it's just interesting to have perspective looking back and knowing that 
in many respects, time is the great healer, right? It doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing, but time, you know, time gives us perspective. And so I look back 15 years ago and where we were. And at that moment, um, you know, and, and we'll just, I'll just kind of share sort of what happened if, if that's where you want me to start. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning and, and walk through, because I think parents need to hear kind of your perspective and then we'll kind of dissect that. Yes. And so this was my first child. Um, it was our first child, my husband and I, and uh, at that time, didn't really think about, you know, gosh, do I, do I have to, do I have to have a birth plan? Do I have to think about what's going to go on in the hospital or what they're going to potentially inject into my child? And um, just the whole thing of bringing a child into the world and being pregnant and all the stuff that surrounds that typical system, that system of allopathy, uh, it just wasn't, I thought about it a little bit, but it wasn't something where I had the foresight to go, oh, like I actually have to think about some of these things and what it could or could not do for my child in terms of their long-term health or the repercussions that things could have. And so I entered into, you know, giving birth to my first child very much within the system, very much with a lot of trust in the system. And I think that's where a lot of parents find themselves is you, you personally don't feel equipped that you know enough to be able to make those decisions and you outsource that trust and that power to another entity that supposedly has more knowledge than you. Now, obviously we know that that's not true and we'll get into that, I'm sure, but that's where I was at and that's where I feel like many parents find themselves um, and we can break that cycle, number one. And so through my story, through our experiences, I feel like the, the beauty of that is I've been able to at least use that experience to be able to help many other parents know that they don't have to be in that position, right? But here I was in that position, outsourcing my power, traditional delivery in a hospital. I was actually group B strep positive, which is, you know, I would say right around a third of women end up being group B positive. And so that method of treatment is to hook you up to antibiotics and so, so that was part of this, what I call the perfect storm for my child, right? So I'm given antibiotics, which at that time, never even realized or was told that that would wipe out all of his gut microbiome, all of my protective measures for him as well, because that's what antibiotics do. Didn't know the research behind group B strep that you actually really don't necessarily have to worry about it as much as they want to fear you into worrying about it. And there's ways to reverse that naturally as well. So give birth epidural because, you know, I was so worried and, and fearful about the pain because that's what you hear is, is you take these stories from other people and you go, oh my gosh, it's going to be the worst pain of my life. I don't want to be in pain. I better get the epidural. And then it was the, you know, delivery and the cutting of the cord right away. Never thought I could ask to have that cord stay attached for as long as I felt I wanted it attached and the benefits that come back to mom and baby with that cord being delayed in the cutting. Uh, and then it's the, you know, washing him right away with the the Johnson and Johnson toxic soap in the hospital, which takes away all of that good stuff on his body that is there to protect him. 
And then it's, of course, the hepatitis B shot within hours of his um, birth into the world and just all that traditional stuff. So, so this was my experience with my first child. And as I went along in that process, there was always something inside of me that I, I would pause here and there and go, oh, gosh, I don't know if this feels right. But like many moms, you just, you feel like you don't know enough. You feel like you're not the expert and that you can't stand up and say, wait a minute, hold on, I have some questions. I have some concerns and my questions and concerns are valid. And so you don't step into that power. And instead you kind of just go along with what the, the system says you have to do. So this was really our road map as we went along in my child's first part of his life. And not, not knowing that some of those very early interventions like the, the antibiotics and the hepatitis B and the, you know, not delaying the cord and all of that stuff played a major role in, in a domino effect almost in everything that happened thereafter. And so we, you know, did the traditional go to the pediatrician, go for your well checks, in which case we all know now that the well checks really are a system set up to vaccinate your child and to get them further and deeper into that system. So we just really followed the traditional way that many um, parents fall into as well. And it, it, you know, a lot of it had to do with how his body would have a, a lack of strength, a lack of vitality in it, a lack of thriving because of those early things that occurred. And we continued down the path um, I, I will say that one thing that I did do right right around uh, four, five, six months was at least ask the pediatrician and say, I'm not comfortable. Something seems odd about doing so many vaccines at one time. Could we at least space them out? At that time, it it didn't seem to be as much of an issue as it is now, right? We've obviously seen how that has changed in terms of, you know, back then, 15 years ago, you, you wouldn't really have pediatricians throwing you out of their practice and, you know, saying you can't be my patient anymore because you're not going to follow this schedule. So I had a, a bit of flexibility there where I was spacing some of them out. But even then, you know, I go back to the very beginning and, you know, his gut health wasn't as strong as it could have been is, you know, just everything in the very beginning, um, kind of set his body up to be more vulnerable in a way. And so as we went down the course of his first year of life, it would be the repeated ear infections, which, you know, that has a lot to do with what we are injecting into these children's bodies and how their immune system is unable to process a lot of that foreign material that their body just doesn't recognize and know how to process. So we had the recurring ear infections and the constant illness and the, the constant diarrhea and just all the things that you go in and you're told, well, that's normal. It's, it's perfectly normal for a child to be on five, round of, five rounds of antibiotics in their first year of life or sometimes 10 rounds. Some of these children are on antibiotics constantly and they never get out of that cycle but you're told it's normal you're told not to worry about it oh here's another prescription so this was kind of in a nutshell what that first year looked like it was constant illness it was this cycle that i felt like we couldn't get out of but i couldn't quite put my finger on it the answer was there i couldn't put my finger on it because 
I didn't step into that power yet. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of stop there, but that's sort of what our first year felt like was this, this, oh my gosh, like, can we just not be sick for once? You know, <laughs> I remember a book I read, um, it was how to raise a healthy child in spite of your pediatrician. I don't know if you've read that book. I can't remember. It's a, it's a medical doctor who wrote it. And this is an old book, you know, and it talks about, you know, yep. mothers and, and parents intuition and how we really know what's right for our kids. But like you said, we've outsourced all of our power to the conventional medical doctors. And also that I take another step further, we've outsourced our thinking to the media. We've outsourced our power to our politicians. So I think step one is realizing that it's not normal for to have a sick kid all the time, to have shots all the time, to do all this stuff. So just take a step back and let's think about it and be like, okay, number one, this system is broken. If we look at the skyrocketing number of childhood illnesses, boom, step one. And then two, it's stepping into your power. So that may be a good segue into, okay, now what were your next steps here? Well, let's get to the point of that moment <laughs> where everything became clear. And unfortunately, and like many people in their story as well, it took that tragic moment to wake me up. And, and honestly, that really is, I think, indicative of so many people's stories is the information can be there, but until something happens that literally stops you in your tracks and you go, I see it. I It's all clear now. But sadly, oftentimes, that comes with a dose of tragedy in a way. And so for us, that's what occurred, is we got to his, um, you know, right around his 13-ish, 14-ish month appointment. Up until that moment, I had been spacing out his vaccines. And I had already gotten uh politely excused or ever so politely or non-politely excused from a couple pediatric practices at that point. So here I was at a different one that for all intents and purposes, they seemed to support my choices. And the one main pediatrician that we were seeing seemed very supportive of my choices, even though he did not agree with me. He did not shame me. He did not you know, yell at me like oftentimes happens in these offices with parents. But we got to that appointment and he was out that day. So the on-call doctor was there. Now, here I am sitting in the office with my, with my child and I'm pregnant. I'm, I'm very heavily pregnant with my second. And I can go back to that moment. And it is so clear now that I'm sitting in that office and my intuition is screaming at me, just come back, just come back another time. But I didn't. I sat there and I went in to that office and the other doctor was on call. And what happened in that, in those moments, you know, I, I can never take back, but again, I look at that and I think what has come from that tragedy has been actually a, a very beautiful process of our life. And so here we are in the office, I'm alone, I'm with my child, he comes in, does his quick little thing because, you know, it's always so quick, five minutes in and out. And he goes, oh, well, it looks like he's really behind on his vaccine schedule. It looks like he's behind, you know, 
at that point, according to them, probably behind by 20 or so, because these babies get so many in every visit, but I was spacing them out. And he just starts to shame me. He just starts to, to be angry with me that here, here I am with my child who's behind on all of these vaccines. And he goes, well, we have to catch him up today. And I go, well, well, what do you mean catch him up? Like, how many does that mean? And he, he looks at, he's like, well, you know, I would, I would do this one, this one, and this one. And, you know, according to how they explain it, it seems like it's three or four. But in reality, when you have three in one vaccines, those count as three separate ones. So I'm, I'm in there just kind of it, it paralyzed, literally paralyzed, because here he's yelling at me and shaming me. Everything in my body is screaming at me to walk out, to literally pick up my child and walk out of that office. And I didn't. I was paralyzed. I was literally paralyzed. So almost everything feels like a blur at this point. And it felt like a blur in that moment. But the nurse comes in with the vials. It totaled up to about nine vaccines. And I allowed it to happen. They in, injected him with nine vaccines in one visit. And I just remember sweating and crying. And I left that appointment and my child within minutes was not the same in the car ride home. You know, we, we actually had a play date scheduled that day. So we were actually on the way to the park. And I remember calling my mom and just crying and saying, something's not right. I don't know what I did. I, 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 I please pray that he's going to be okay. Please pray that he's going to be, I mean, it, it was as if everything just came and clarity happened, but I couldn't take it back. Once mm. it's in, you cannot take it back. And that's what I need parents to understand is this isn't, I mean, sure, there are things that you can do to reverse damage and to help detox. And we, we did all those things and they played a massive role in his healing and recovery. But once you make that decision to inject it, you can't take it back. And so now I can share that story in a way to say, hey, here's what happened to us. Go in with eyes wide open and full research and understanding what the pros and cons are and what you're being told versus what the truth is. But anyway, so we... We're driving to the park. He's screaming his head off. I really had no idea at the time that that was the first signs of encephalitis and brain inflammation because it was this very high-pitched screaming cry, which is very unique. As a mom, you know the cries of your child. And this was a very different cry. This was a high-pitched screaming in pain type of cry. And then, I mean, just to kind of shorten the story a little bit for, for this podcast, but basically he, he had brain inflammation. I didn't realize it. He would never stop crying. I called the pediatrician's office. What did they tell me to do? Give him Tylenol and Motrin and rotate it, which further proliferated the damage and, uh, depletes the glutathione. depletes the glutathione within days. He lost any words that he had at that time. He had about 20 words, eye contact communicating within days. He lost it, completely lost it. And, and that wasn't even really the moment that I would say I stepped into my power. That was in the neurologist's office. <laughs> but this was the moment that I at least had clarity. And I had to wrestle with the emotions. And a big reason why in my book, the whole first part of my book talks about shame and guilt as a parent and a mom and why it is so critical 
that if we do not heal that, if we do not face that, our children will not heal. Our children will not heal until we resolve that shame and guilt and we let that go and we get into action. And so that was the turning point for that piece was wrestling with the emotional part of it and not allowing that to consume me, but instead transmute that negative energy and get into action to heal my child and say, you know what? He could have died. He could have literally died that night in his crib from encephalitis. Praise God he didn't. Praise God that we had a, another chance and a different and a, and a path forward. But that the reality is, is that does happen. That does happen. And so, you know, it, 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 again, it's just that that piece of it that isn't talked about enough, in my opinion, is what we hold on to as moms and as parents and and knowing that, all right, I made this decision. I didn't know but I know now and I'm gonna do something about it. Yeah, and I see a lot of you know parents in my clinic and a lot of this has happened to their kids too. And the amount of guilt and shame and remorse is just like overflowing. And it's, you just wanna give them a hug, you know, because they like, I would do anything to go back to that day and not do those shots. And like you said, you can't undo that. So I think that's number one is listening to that intuition when it's knocking on your door. Hey, hey, listen. Um, but yeah, letting that go, like you said, because you cannot carry that the rest of your life. That's not going to serve your child. So well, that's as the story progresses, you know, that's that's where I see people stop and get blocked. Right. Is they want their child to heal. Absolutely. Ever. I don't think any parent out there doesn't want their child to thrive. Of course we do, but there's a disconnect and a paralyzation that happens when we don't face that shame and guilt and rectify it within ourselves that we actually cannot help our child heal until we do that. Mm -hmm. Amen. You may have heard me talk about core formulas. Well, I use core formulas products personally and I use them with my clients mainly for what they don't have all the fillers and junk that most supplements on the market today have, you know what? Your body does not need that and it cannot process that well. Their line of supplements addresses the foundations of health, including gut health, brain and stress support, detox, and drainage. And you can support your most important body systems with their core four bundle, which includes gut makeover, bowel complete, drainage essentials, and their be happy bees. Check out shopcoreformulas.com and enter Dr. Seth 15 for 15% off your first order. Now back to the show. So something's up and you know, you see that, you feel it. What are the next steps here to hopefully turn this around? So uh, the next couple months were interesting because I was still wrestling with, is there something wrong with him? Was I just imagining it? And you sort of go into kind of a this condition psychologically where you almost rationalized. Yes, definitely. Yes, absolutely. And so it took a little while, a few months, I would say, um, until one of my good friends at the time and bless her heart for having the courage to do this, because I don't know a lot of people that would have the courage to go to another mom and say, 
there is something wrong with your child, you need to get him in and get him healed as quickly as possible. Like she literally spoke truth into me and she didn't have to do that. She was taking a massive risk of losing our friendship, me getting upset, because also this is what happens too, is we don't want to believe something is wrong or that maybe we made a choice that wasn't really rooted in listening to our intuition, right? So we get mad at the person who's trying to actually help us. So she took a big risk, but she came to me, she called me one day on the phone and she said, Jody, this isn't gonna be easy for me to tell you, um, but I, I need you to know this because I care about you and I, and I care about your son and I care about, you know, what's going on. And I, I think that you, you need to get him in and you need to get him tested. And, you know, she had actually already went through this with her own son. So she was speaking from a standpoint of personal experience and knowing what it takes to heal your child on the spectrum. And she's like, I'm seeing some signs in him. And I just really think you need to take him in. And you know what? My reaction to her was I started crying. I started crying uncontrollably that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> like I knew something was wrong with my child. Sorry. <laughs> Woo, 15 years later. <laughs> um, I needed that validation. But instead of me wallowing in that shame and that guilt, I, I needed that person to say that to me in order to say, you're right. Thank you. I know I just needed somebody to tell me because up until that point, everybody in my life, including my family, would say, it's normal, boys develop later, he's fine, everything's fine. No, it's not fine. It's not okay, something is wrong. So I, I got off the phone with her and I literally immediately called and I, and I got him in for, at the time in Orange County where we lived in California, it was um, the regional center. And so many states have this where you can take your child in to get tested by the, the local you know, county state authority. It's free and all of that, right? And so you go and oftentimes there's a really, really long wait list. And so she actually gave me some tips. She said, listen, you're gonna call this number. They're gonna ask you these questions and here's how you're gonna answer them. Because if you don't answer them the right way, you're never gonna get him in. So like, that was kind of cool that she told me that stuff. So I answered all the questions the right way because all I cared about was getting him in and getting him tested. And so it turned out that, you know, they gave him a, a diagnosis at the time of um, PDD, which is pervasive developmental disorder. They don't always, I think sometimes they, they can be quick to just slap a label of autism on a, on a child, but a lot of times they'll use PDD as a, stopgap. And so, you know, they said, we do see some red flags. We see some things going on. We would like to get him in, you know, for this group therapy as quickly as possible. And I said, sign me up. I'm like, I don't even need to wait. We're ready. Let's go. Let's do this. So the very first step was actually getting him into the group therapy with other kids who had the same type of stuff going on. And so, you know, as he started that, I started immediately researching ways to heal him and to help him. And there was there was literally no delay in, in my opinion. It was, we need to do this right now. We have this window of opportunity. 
all the research that I was finding, which is was a lot easier to find back then because it wasn't censored. Like you actually could find people out there who were talking about the detrimental um, things that happen with vaccines and, you know, what they can Imagine do that. and all this stuff. Right. And now it's a lot harder to find it, which is, thank goodness, we have some of these alternative platforms. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I dove in headfirst right away. And the, the moment that really started me stepping into my power, I'll say, was the moment we went to the neurologist. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know why I felt like I needed to go to the neurologist other than at the time, it would have been helpful to have that that diagnosis on paper to get more therapy, to be able to advocate for his uh, needs much more and to be able to take that paper and go to go to other you know, people like the pediatrician at the time, different pediatrician, right? Because obviously you left that place because they nearly killed my child. Mm-hmm. Um, and be able to get, you know, methyl B12 injections prescribed, all these things that I knew that I was going to need. So I went to the neurologist partly to have something on paper. Now I advocate and really caution parents to not get something on paper, to, to be frank and honest, because times have changed. Um, but I also kind of wanted some validation in a way I wanted, I wanted to hear some other so-called expert either tell me, yes, this is what's going on or no, you have hope. I was actually looking for hope. That's why I made that appointment. Silly me, there ain't a neurologist out there who's probably going to give you any hope, sadly, but I was looking for hope and in that office is when I stepped into my power because that neurologist did the testing on him, sat me down in her office and basically, frankly, told me, this is what your child has, no emotion, like literally no emotion in her. This is what your child has. You're never going to be able to heal him. You're probably going to have to institutionalize him by the time he's 18. This is literally what she told me. Oh, and by the way, your newborn child, my middle son that was sitting right there with me, oh, just be prepared. He'll probably have it too because it's genetic. And oh, by the way, you should probably consider not having any more children. She told me that. Wow. That is when I stepped into my power. I walked out of that office with more anger and more rage in me than I had ever felt in my life before. But it was an anger and a, and a rage that was, I'm gonna prove you wrong. You are wrong about this. My child was fine. He's not fine now. I know what the common denominator is and I will heal my child and I will prove you wrong. So that was the turning point. <laughs> so, and I get that, like, my journey was through conventional medicine and I saw probably a dozen different docs and they all told me I was crazy. It's all in your head. You're going to be sick for the rest of your life. Good luck. So I, I see that being a common theme in this conventional medical system. That's when I woke up to, okay, this is not here to, to help us, to help us get us better. So I think a lot of parents are still trying to play in this box where it's like, you're going to have a hard time finding help in the same box that's you know, potentially doing harmful things for all children. So you're going through this process here and conventional medicine says, okay, this is all genetic. You can't do anything about this. And you're like, watch me. So where, where do you go from here? Is it, do we need to get 
like test to see what's going on? Are we just trying things? Are you hooking up with practitioners? Where did you go? So my very first step was, I mean, my actual first step was obviously therapy. I, we can talk about that because I have very strong feelings about the corruption that exists in therapy and ABA. But that, that was the first thing we did. Uh, then coinciding with that really at the same time was when I was finding research about changing diet, about the benefits of healing the gut, um, removing gluten, removing dairy, just how that can affect their brain and how that can can manifest and appear as these symptoms of autism. And so I just started it on my own. You know, I, I didn't really, at the time we were, were very, very strapped for money as well. We were doing a lot of this with like, okay, I'm gonna go sell some things on eBay. I'm gonna go get a part-time job. I'm gonna do whatever I can do to help my child get these things that he needs. Like I was a scrapper. Like I am a scrapper in life anyways, but I was a scrapper. To, to do anything that I could get to be able to heal him. But a lot of that stuff we actually can do on our own, right? It's nice to have guidance from like a biomedical doctor. At the time, they were called biomedical doctors or DAN doctors, which, which stands for Defeat Autism Now. It's not as prevalent now to have, like find that same terminology, but that was about 15 years ago. And so what all the research that I was finding was change the diet, clean up the diet. So that's what I did first is we started by removing dairy. Um, at, the, at the time, he was very limited in his diet. He was eating McDonald's chicken nuggets. I know, McDonald's chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah, because at the time, as a mom in trauma, the only thing that you think about is I have to get my child to eat. So I thought, well, this is the only thing he eats. At least he's eating something. And we would give him McDonald's chicken nuggets not knowing that it was actually a root cause of his gut dysfunction, that he was having these sensory issues and these palate issues and mineral deficiencies and all that kind of stuff, right? So he was eating McDonald's chicken nuggets and yogurt, and that's what his diet consisted of. So I started by removing dairy. We started slowly by replacing things with, you know, coconut milk yogurt, which was even harder to find back then, um, then removing gluten, and then I started to go see a biomedical doctor just to get some sort of standard lab test to see where his deficiencies were. And we incorporated methyl B12 injections, which actually was a, a big turning point for him. Within a couple of weeks of his methyl B12 injections, he started speaking again because it started to help like just get those neurosynapses talking to each other again in the brain. So he actually started to get words back just from methyl B12 injections and the, the changing of his diet and starting to remove those toxins, which takes a while, by the way. A lot of people think, oh, if I remove gluten today, I should be healed tomorrow. It takes months to get that crap out of your system, right? So it took a while. Those were our first steps. Then we started to get into you know, some supplementation. Uh, at, at the time though, I, I wasn't super schooled in, in what was good or what was bad. So we were just giving him all these kinds of things. Some of it was probably helping, some of it probably wasn't. We got to a point where he was on like three, two, two and a half to three pages long of supplements was his routine every day. And I just looked at it one day and I was like, this is too much. Like it, this process should be simpler and it, and it can be simpler by the way. 
it was just too much for his body. So we went back to the drawing board and focused at that time specifically on homeopathy to help remove the, the vaccine damage from his body. So we simplified and went to straight detox. And, and I'm gonna tell you, when those vaccines come out of the body, it's crazy. Like what was in his poop, what was coming out of his body was insane, which goes to show that there was damage because here it is coming out. And so every time we would work on one single vaccine at a time and remove that damage, he would make gains. He'd have then a regression and then he'd make gains again. And then he'd have a little regression and then he'd make gains again. So we had to pull out each vaccine one at a time. And we really focused on homeopathy at that point with a little bit of other things like essential oils and um, changing the diet still and incorporating the therapy. I mean, you know, it's a whole thing that you're doing, uh, but it does take commitment. It does take commitment. And I think that's also where sometimes parents wave the white flag and throw in the towel is this isn't an overnight thing. It, it takes time and it takes diligence, but it, it, you can do it. On that note, you know, before conventional medicine has taken over, hijacked the whole medical system, the majority of Americans use homeopathy and natural remedies in the, in the 1800s. This was commonplace. I think one question I get from parents a lot is, especially kids that have some of these symptoms, very picky sensory issues, tough to have certain foods or get supplements in. What have you found to be something that helps break through it and to get these nutrients and things in, in these kiddos? Did you know we're exposed to exponentially more toxins than our ancestors? Things like plastics, heavy metals, VOCs, chemical spills, mold are all rampant in today's world. We're also seeing a rise in chronic health conditions like autoimmune diseases, anxiety, depression, GI issues, brain fog, and that's just to name a few. Toxins inflame your brain and your body, alter your immune system, tear up your gut, and throw your hormones completely out of whack. You know, I see so many people with brain fog, fatigue, anxiety, mood swings, headaches, gut issues like constipation and bloating, and almost all the time, they can't eliminate toxins out of their body. So what's the best and safest way to get toxins out of the body? It's opening your drainage pathways. Drainage before detox, always. So this means that your gut, your liver, your kidneys, your lymph can all move and mobilize the toxins that you've been exposed to safely, effectively out of your body. Want to learn exactly how to do drainage step by step? Check out the drainage formula in the show notes below and enter pod 18 for 18% off the course now. It's not easy. <laughs> I, I deal with those questions all day long too, obviously, from people who I'm chatting with as well. And, I, and you know, part of it is having an understanding that healing does take time. So your gut doesn't heal overnight. And a lot of that sensory palate issue is a mineral deficiency, a lot of zinc deficiency, because zinc helps us taste food, but overall mineral deficiency. And so it's this combination of sticking with healing the gut and doing all the, the things that will align you in that goal. At the same time, you're just constantly putting it in front of them and you're constantly working on getting them to taste something, to touch something. It's just, it's, it's a combination of both. And so over time, you are getting to a place where eventually they start eating it and you're like, oh my gosh, they literally just ate that. 
right? Some of this too, and I'll be very frank and honest, is I, I do believe that we have a bit of an epidemic of parents who don't want to parent. And I know that that might rub people the wrong way when I say that. But what I mean by that is you are the parent. You know what is best for your child. You know what will take them into the healing path. And what happens is as a culture, as a society, it's become so evident how there's this rationalization of, well, your child's not happy, just give in. Well, that's, they're never going to heal, just give in and let them eat whatever they want. No, no, you are the parent, be the parent. And so I had to find my strength inside of me to go, I know this is what's best for him. And I will find a way that we will get the, we will get to the goal. So it took a combination of a lot of OT therapy, right? So the OT that we went to at the time, you got to use your voice. I would go to her and say, this is our goal. This is what I want my child to eat. You need to work in your sessions with him on him eating these foods. So she would work with that from her sort of expertise with OT. And then I would mirror that at home. It's not like you drop your child off at therapy and you expect the therapist to work magic. Then they come home and you just do whatever you want. No, you carry that through into the home as well. So we were doing a lot of those same things at home. I would say too, as the gut starts to heal and the turning point for us was the GAPS diet. So that's the gut and psychology syndrome. I truly believe it's the gold standard of healing the gut for a child is you're basically taking the gut back to infancy. You're sealing it back up with bone broth, with high quality animal fats, dense minerals and nutrition. You're sealing it back up. And as that gut starts to seal and heal, you'd be surprised what your child will eat, but they're not eating those foods because their gut is on fire and they don't know how to tell you that. This is what we need to know as the parent or the caregiver. So the GAPS diet, obviously we implemented that pretty early on and that was a good turning point to where he started to eat foods after going through phase one of the GAPS diet. And then it was just kind of off to the races. You know, once you, the, the whole, goal is you've got to seal and heal the gut first. For sure. And the gut brain connection is so vital in everything, but in this in particular, cause you know, some of the things, especially in the vaccines, they're designed to open the blood brain barrier. Um, and when you open the blood brain barrier, you open the gut barrier also, and really vice versa. We see that in like head traumas, concussions, gut barrier opens also. So when you heal the gut, you heal the brain, you know, you make 90% of your serotonin, 50% of your dopamine in the gut. So um, that's huge. So what are some other things that the parents out there uh, are, uh, we talked to methyl B12 diet, homeopathy, GAPS diet, healing and sealing the gut. What are some other things um, to be on the lookout for? In terms so of the treatment. other thing that we did that was a pivotal moment. So, so think of, I, I want you to almost, I want parents to almost think of this healing process as it's like cycles, right? So you're going through and you're going to see uh, a cycle of improvement and then you might see a regression again, and then you're going to see a cycle of improvement and then you might see a regression again. But really what you're doing is you're going in this, this linear upward, like slow crawl where you might have peaks and you might have valleys, but you're getting to a destination that is healing, right? So keep that in mind. 
is that sometimes when you implement something, you may not see the results of it right away, but there is stuff that is happening. And so you're looking for those little clues, right? So some of these peaks that we had was obviously the GAPS diet. Okay, so that was one peak that we had where it broke through that barrier of him starting to eat other foods because we sealed the gut with the bone broth. Then another peak, we would see little peaks with the homeopathy, right? As we pulled out each vaccine at a time. I mean, we had to pull out hepatitis B. We had to pull out DTAP. We had to pull out rotavirus, whatever. He never got the MMR, praise the Lord. He did not get that one. But hepatitis B and DTAP are actually two of the most damaging uh, vaccines very early on. So then we get to uh, raw camel milk. And this is one that I am a staunch and huge advocate for raw camel milk. It's very difficult to find, but there are two, two places in the U.S. that you can get it. You have to be very careful, though, because what you'll find on the market is you'll find pasteurized or flash pasteurized, which is, does not have any healing benefits at all. So you, you've got to go to either Colorado Camel Milk. Uh, ColoradoCamelMilk.com is a great place to go or Camel Milk Association. And this is where you're gonna find raw camel milk. So what this does is this, again, has the action of, of sealing and healing the gut, but it also provides immunoglobulins to the body, which is crucial for their immune system and their gut. It also provides natural insulin. So when a child is in a state of not being able to regulate their nervous system, this is crucial for blood sugar, right? So raw camel milk, by the way, is incredible for diabetics. I've seen people heal their diabetes just from raw camel milk alone. I've seen many things healed from raw camel milk because of what it does for the gut and what it does for the cells in the body in terms of the immunoglobulins. So that was another step that we implemented. It was right around, I would say he was at the time about four, four years old, maybe four and a half, he was in preschool. And this is how you know when things are working sometimes, right? It's these little nuances. So the preschool teacher at the time, she was amazing, but he was in a traditional preschool because my viewpoint was, I want to place my child with where he's going to be pushed to become better. I don't want my child to be in a classroom or in a place where he is, is almost being pushed down in his level by his peers. I want him to be pushed up by his peers. I want him to learn how to be in the world and how to do these things. So we always had him in a traditional type of setting for most of the stuff that he was doing early on. So he was in this preschool, private preschool at the time, and the teacher would always, you know, kind of give me updates and there would be the meltdowns he would have and he, he just self-regulation. He would hide under the table, which is often a coping mechanism for kids is like they go and they hide under the table or they hide in a corner or whatever. And so just a lot of regulation issues throughout the first part of the year. And then I stumbled upon this thing called raw camel milk. And I really thought I have lost my marbles if I'm considering giving my child raw camel milk. Milk but from a camel. Like, <laughs> but listen, they've been centuries centuries nomadic cultures have been drinking raw camel milk. So this is nothing new. It's just to us in this culture, everything is villainized and painted as, oh, well, that's just wacko. That's just like witchcraft or, you know, hippie medicine or whatever, right? And so I was like, you know what? What do I have to lose? What do I have to lose at this point? I, I don't care. So I ordered some. I started giving it to him over the break and he came back to school 
And it, it was like the first few days back in and the teacher, I came to pick him up and she's like, do you have a minute to chat? And of course I'm like, great, what happened now? Like, it's just, you know, you just get used to it. You're like, what happened now? What do I need to figure out? And she pulled me aside and she said, I don't know what you've been doing, but for the first time, your son made this like big tower full of blocks and this kid came over and knocked it over. Now, normally my child would have not been able to self-regulate very well. He would have, you know, ha had, had a crying fit or, or whatever. And so she said, you know what happened? He didn't say a word. This kid came over, knocked it over. He looked at me and said, that's okay. I'll just build another. That was the first time that had ever happened. And so she's like, what have you been doing? Like, did you do something different? Cause she, she knew our, our path. Like she knew our story. Cause I shared that with her and I, I felt like I needed to share things with her because this was a child in her classroom to just prepare her and tell her what our goals were as parents so that we could align. And I, I looked at her and I said, um, well, we've kind of been drinking this thing called camel milk. And she looked at me and she goes, camels make milk. And I was like, <laughs> I know, I didn't know that either. <laughs> right. But that was a turning point. That was one of those moments where you go, yeah, this is working. Like if my child went from not being able to self-regulate to within weeks or days of being able to self-regulate, that is gut healing 101 right there. And it was all attributed to the raw camel milk. It basically just created another level of growth for him and his body and set us off on another path of, okay, awesome. Let's move on to the next thing. This stuff's working. So I, I really highly recommend raw camel milk in everyone's journey, no matter what it is, because everything comes from the gut, right? The gut is the the healer of it all. So everyone can benefit from it, but most especially children. That's amazing. So for you guys, you know, you, you had noticed a staunch difference pre and post these vaccines. And I know that's a big part. I mean, I had vaccines when I was a kid. That was the 80s, though. It was much different than today. Um, can you tell people the difference between, you know, 30, 40 years ago with today, with the schedule, how much they get? And really, I, I don't think I've ever seen a parent who does more than two hours of research on what's in vaccines and they go back and then vaccinate their kids. Because once you learn about monkey kidney cells and formaldehyde and mercury and polysorbate 80 and uh, all these other ingredients, it's really hard to be like, yes, let's, let's give that to my kids. So back to the question of people who say, I had vaccines and I was fine. What's the difference? Oh, I mean, huge, but yes, I, I will agree with you that even me doing five minutes of questioning, I was done five minutes of questioning. I was done. Like it's all clear, but again, they want to keep you from that so that you continue to blindly trust and you stay in their system. So recognize that number one is why ask yourself this question of what do they have to hide and why are they trying to hide it so much? If I go into the pediatrician's office, and I say, no, I want to, to read the insert. Why do they not want to give it to you? Isn't that a little fishy, right? Why do they shame you immediately for asking a question? Isn't that a red flag? So to answer your question though, I mean, yeah, even when I was growing up, uh, I would say maybe there was 
I don't know, uh, 10 or 12 on the schedule total, maybe from birth to age, let's just say, well, let's just say even birth to like age 12, because at that time, there really wasn't the later vaccines that they've introduced now, like the Gardasil and, you know, obviously the COVID injection now as well, but in the flu shot and all of that, right? So it was maybe if you're lucky, eight to 10 maybe if you're lucky. And, and even then most parents would probably have done like four or five. And the, the most would be something like polio because that was still very feared and pushed as fear at the time and still is, they all are. But you're looking at sheer numbers. So in sheer numbers of what the body is exposed to, it was dramatically less than what it is now. That's number one. Number two is there was a pivotal moment in 1986 that not many people understand why 1986 was so pivotal. Before 1986, if I had a child that had a reaction and, and reactions to vaccines were much more recognized back then before 1986, where I've, I've talked to parents who, had old, who have older children today and their children were vaccine injured. And I hear their stories and they say, they say, hey, they admitted it. Like there was no pushback you would go to the pediatrician and say like, my child was injured, this happened. They would admit it. Now they will never admit it. But that's because they had liability back then. So in 1986 is when they took away all liability from vaccine manufacturers. And in essence, pediatricians and doctors injecting these things into babies. So imagine what happens in 1986 as you take away that liability and now it's a free for all. And what happens starting in the early 1990s is you start to see the vaccine schedule balloon and grow little by little. It's getting more and more and more and more and more to now. If you add in all of these so-called optional boosters and vaccines, you're up to almost 100 by the time a child is in their toddlerhood. 100. That's a lot of stuff going in the body. So that's number two is liability. Liability was removed. You start to see the vaccine schedule balloon and grow because they don't have to ever pay out or admit that there's an injury. They just have, they have, it's all gone. They don't have to do anything, right? Completely immune. And then you start to see what has been added to vaccines. Now, early on, I would say if you even go back to like the 1930s, when the DTP or the diphtheria vaccine, you actually can go way back. It all started with smallpox, right? Then in the 1930s was a really big pivotal moment with the diphtheria vaccine. And that's when they started to actually test mercury and aluminum in vaccines. This is when aluminum started to be introduced into vaccines. And it was a complete failure an absolute failure to the point where at that time there wasn't social media, there wasn't the corrupt media and all of that. And so you had, a, you had parents who would stand up and say, no, like these children are dying from this diphtheria vaccine. We're not going to give it to our child. So at that point, they had to start thinking about how are we going to convince parents to do these things? That's really when all of this started was actually back in the 1930s. Take a little break. You go all the way now up to 1986, where now you're adding in formaldehyde and polysorbate 80 and all of these adjuvants, aluminum. You know, a lot of people demonize mercury because that they made that a part of the conversation in the um, like early 2000s or mid 2000s was mercury doesn't cause autism. 
I mean, it was a whole propaganda campaign to get parents to believe that mercury wasn't the problem. You know what? Aluminum's the problem. Is mercury bad? Yes, it is. Mercury has actually been taken out of almost all vaccines. It's still present in a few, but it was replaced with aluminum. And aluminum is what the problem is. It is a massive neurotoxin that you mentioned when the blood brain barrier opens, so does the gut. Well, not many parents realize this. I wanna paint a picture for parents right now. So I want you to imagine your child going in for that pediatrician visit. And this was my child too. I go back to that point when my child was nearly killed in that office by those nine vaccines. They're under massive fight and flight. I want you to imagine a child who has no idea what's going on. They're laying on a table, it's cold. They don't know, what, they don't know what's happening. So what, what is a normal reaction for a child? They're in distress because that's what their nervous system does. That's what fight and flight does. So they're laying there, not able to communicate and talk because that's not what a baby can do. But their body is in fight and flight at that moment. So what happens when your body is in fight and flight is your blood brain barrier actually opens. It opens like massively. So then you inject that vaccine with aluminum. And now that blood brain barrier is completely open because of fight and flight. And that aluminum goes right into the brain. That is not what's talked about. They will not admit that. They will not. A lot of their defense too is, oh, there's only a tiny amount of aluminum. There's no way it can hurt your baby. But you also come back to the injection versus, you know, swallowing or absorb on your skin route. It's completely different. Your body has natural defense mechanisms built in from stuff that's absorbed through your skin, you inhale through your nose, and stuff you swallow. The body is smart. When you bypass all of that and inject straight into your tissues, but then you pair it with polysorbate 80, with monkey kidney cells, with all these other things are designed to create an immune response, to open the blood-brain barrier, to shuttle all that stuff into the brain. That's where this concoction of all this stuff makes a difference. And that's what people don't understand. The pediatricians, big pharma, spew out all this stuff saying, oh, it's completely safe. Where in reality, we know that... Um, this can be harmful. Well, and every every single parent that goes into a pediatrician's office should challenge their pediatrician and say, I want you to show me a study that shows safety and efficacy for injecting aluminum because they can't show it to you. They cannot show it to you. What they will tell you every time is, oh, you ingest aluminum all day long and you're fine. Ingesting does not mean injecting. Show me a study that shows safety and efficacy for a newborn infant or a child that you injected aluminum into, first of all, they can't do those studies, it's unethical. So how are they proving that these vaccines are actually safe? You know, you can go back to the hepatitis B vaccine. Did you know they tested that on about 140 infants and observed them for a period of like a week and then they called it safe? That's not safe. That's not a study. That's the study that they're going off of and injecting every single newborn in this country with hepatitis B within hours of being born. Yeah, no and it sounds like COVID vaccine. That's not a vaccine. That's mRNA gene therapy shot, but they're pulling that in here. But same, same thing. No one has liability. What other industry in the world do you know of that makes a product, gets taxpayer funding to make products, and then is mandated to take, and then has zero liability when people get injured or killed? I don't know of another one. 
but it's a big money-making industry, that's for sure. Bill Gates talked about a 20 to 1 return that he can throw in. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. Um, yeah. yeah, I get fired up about this topic because of the fact that I can't talk about this on social media. If you Neither talk about I. this on social media, you will get deleted, you will get deleted instantly yeah. off social media. That was our life in 2020 and 2021 is we all went through that because we were we were sharing the truth. We were trying, you know, and they don't want that out there. And, you know, it's interesting, obviously, is obvi we knew the truth at the time. And now the truth is coming out in a much more mass way. So you're seeing that they're not really deleting people like they used to because the truth is right there. Right. But right. it's, you know, the information is there. Uh, and, and I think I think what I what I always come back to with this topic of autism specifically is I always share very consistently that not only can you heal it, but you can prevent it. And this is this starts to really rub people the wrong way who are sitting in the camp of misery loves company. And I call it the camp of misery loves company because what happens when you slap that blue ribbon? on yourself like a pin and you put that blue ribbon in your yard and you put that blue ribbon on your car and you're, you know, we support those with autism kind of thing. This, this doesn't mean we don't support children who are going through things. Nobody in their right mind would ever say that these children don't need help and that they're suffering. Of course they are. But the people that sit in the Camp of Misery Loves Company attach themselves to this identity, this new identity of, well, this is our life and there's nothing we can do about it. No, you can. And what I am adamant about and I'm passionate about is not just helping children heal who have been a victim to this system, but that you, if you're planning on starting a family and we all should have big, huge, happy families because that's what the system hates, have lots of children and don't vaccinate them, right? It's the best way. It's the best way to be a rebel today. But guess what? Is you can actually prevent it. This epidemic so should not be an epidemic. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. The autism rate skyrocketing in the past few decades. I've seen some where it's predicted one in two boys will have autism in the next decade or so. So this is alarming, to say the least. Um, so we just talked about vaccines quite a bit. Let's get into other things that you've seen that could potentially put kids on this path, you know, environmental stuff, genetic, yeah. gut, like, let's talk about that for a minute. And I'm glad you're bringing that up because I often get people who will contact me and say, why well, never vaccinated my child and they have autism. And number one is, I think we need to look at autism with a dose of truth versus what they want you to believe autism is. Culture and society and the system want you to believe autism is this unexplainable disease, this unexplainable thing that happens. We can't explain it, oh, but we think it's genetic, but we can't prove it's genetic. We've thrown billions of dollars at autism research, still can't find a gene for it. So we like don't really know what causes it, but we're just gonna call it genetic, right? Like this is exactly what happens, <laughs> okay? And, and so start thinking about the mental gymnastics that they're throwing at you. So we have to redefine and, and truly understand what this is. And you asked me before we started today, like, what do you call autism? And I go, well, first of all, I try not to use that word very much because it's a label that you can attach to very easily and find yourself kind of slowly creeping into that camp of misery loves company and not even know it. 
So we have to be very careful the verbiage we're using and how mentally we're attaching ourselves to disease names and labels, right? But let's just say we're going to call it autism. So what really is it? It is a dysfunction of the body in general that comes from a myriad of factors. It doesn't always come from vaccines. It can also come from the toxic load that the mother carries. What vaccines did the mother get? Did they get the Tdap during pregnancy? Did they get the flu shot? What load are they carrying, right? So it's not just, oh, my child didn't get a single injection, but yet they still have these symptoms or these signs that they're classifying him as autism or her as autism. There's also environmental factors, like you mentioned. I want you to think about the world that we live in today. Uh, growing up, I never used to see lions in the sky, ever. I don't know who in their right mind today can look up at the sky and go, yeah, that's natural, that's normal. Like, how do you have a perfectly blue, clear day and all of a sudden planes go by in a checkerboard fashion and now you have clouds? Who in their right mind thinks that that's normal, right? So you've got more toxicity from environmental factors of, you know, heavy metals being sprayed on us, being sprayed on food, eating that. You have much more processed food. You have much more uh, food dyes and things and just a lifestyle of it. Lifestyle. Just look at lifestyle in general. What are you cleaning your home with? What are you washing your clothes with? All of those conventional products that claim to be so good for you that are antibacterial, they're actually harming the body more than you can ever imagine. What are we eating? What is our lifestyle like? What is our mental state like? We have such a busyness in life, overscheduled, both parents working and slaving away and coming home completely depleted. All of that plays a role into the entire mind, body, spirit. So it's not just vaccines. There are absolutely children out there that have these signs and symptoms, these classic signs of autism, if you want to call it, that have never received a vaccine. But if you look back in their health history, if you look back in their, um, even their generational history, you can term it generational trauma in many different ways. There's a lot of contributing factors there. But we have absolute control over that is the thing. Is there things we can't control? I mean, I got to go outside my home. I'm gonna protect myself and take care of my body because I know things are being sprayed on me and food quality isn't always the best. And I'm gonna do my best to control as much of that as I can without going psychotic about it. Cause I don't think that's healthy either that we live in a state of everything's gonna kill me. Um, but you have control over a lot of those things. So we have part, so this conversation is twofold which is we have to understand where we have control for our family and for our babies and our children. And we can prevent in so many of those cases going down this road of getting a label, whether it's autism, ADHD, obesity, child obesity, 50% of children today are obese. That never used to exist. The amount of seed yeah, oils, refined oils that is in food. Like it's just, it's an, it's an overburden in the body, but we have absolute control over the choices that we make. So it's not only preventable, but if you find yourself in that place, you also can heal it and your child can thrive. Whatever that is, it means a lot for a lot of different people because there's a lot of factors. As you know, every patient is different. Every patient has a different constitution. Every patient's gonna have a different level of healing and thriving, but why would we not want our child to thrive? Whatever that looks for them. Yeah, amen. And I think, yeah, the body does have limitations to a degree, but yeah, why don't we do the best possible 
things we can for our kids. I mean, you just nailed a lot of them there. Another thing I add into is their drainage pathways and making sure they're pooping and making sure their liver has help and their lymphatic system and all that stuff is really great. What I want to do now, Jody, I've never done this. We're going to try this out. Yeah. I'm going to do like a rapid fire Q&A. Because uh, oh, I, I got some questions from like parents and things like that. I want to make sure we get to all of it or else this would be like a three hour podcast, which I don't mind, but uh, we may as well do mean, like a part two. Attention spans, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do this. Let's do uh, just like a rapid fire. Give me your, your, your best answer here. Okay. Number one, why do pre pediatricians vaccinate so many kids? They're paid to. Okay. They're paid to. Well, also so, they're indoctrinated. They're indoctrinated. They go to medical school. They're learning from books written by pharmaceutical companies. They're they're never told the other side. They're just completely indoctrinated. And you know, it's interesting because somebody goes into the medical profession, you know, like you or me or whoever else, and you you would hope that their goal is to first do no harm, which is the oath you take is to first do no harm. But something interesting happens when they get into this allopathic field and the system starts to take over and they lose all sense of, I need to stand up for my patient. And instead they cave to the system. So it's, it's twofold. They're indoctrinated, but they're also paid with bonuses. And there's a structure set up that they feel like they have to follow. And if they fall out of line, they get threatened with losing their medical license. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that is true. Uh, where to find practitioners that can help with the things like we spoke about today. So, when it comes to healing your child, uh, I'm going to be very honest that it starts with you. I am a big fan of a term that we often hear people say, which is you heal you. But that doesn't mean that you can't go and have support and community and learn things from people who have gone before you or people who have expertise in that area. So it really is a holistic approach, but it does actually start with you. You have to believe that you have the power to do this and help your child, that you, you have the knowledge, you have the capability and the faculties to do this. And then you start to build your community around you. So one reason why I wrote my book was number one is I didn't want to lose that part of our life. I didn't want to lose that memory and what we did. And I didn't want my son's story to be in vain. And it's not like his story lives on by helping thousands of children every day heal because of what he went through. So we can learn things from books, from things that people have written. I also created the Warrior Center, which is like a, a group that I have for parents who are interested in healing their kids. And I have everything written out of what we did and the, the protocols that we did and the regimens and just loading them up with knowledge and empowerment. So there's things like that that you can find. There's also people like you and other holistic practitioners that really look at the entire mind, body, spirit approach. So almost always you have to exit the conventional system and you have to go so-called alternative, right? But chiropractors, uh, neurological based chiropractors that, that have an expertise, let's say in the nervous system, we did a lot of chiropractic work, detox, you know, opening drainage pathways, that kind of stuff where they can help and guide you. But I want, I want parents to think of it instead of going to an expert to be their savior and to fix their problems, go to people who are going to be your, like your partner like, and advocate. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Your partner and advocate. They're going to walk this journey with you as a support system. They're not there to save you in a way. 
And I would say, um, reach out to practitioners and pick their brain. Like a lot of practitioners do intro calls. I know I do, but, um, Hey, this is what I've got going on. This is where we want to be. Do you specialize in what it takes to get us from here to there? Make sure they know about the gut brain connection. Make sure they know about environmental toxin loads, vaccines, uh, the impact of emotional trauma and all this stuff on your kid. And I think, um, if you vibe with that, give it a shot then. That's great. Yes. Oh, Best resources um, on the research risk benefits of vaccines. Where, where are some good resources for that? Because if you Google this stuff, you're not going to find it. Right. Exactly. Uh, which is why I built a whole vaccine module in my in my group as well, because I wanted to keep that information somewhere for people, right? Because it's getting harder and harder to find. Uh, I think there's a couple really good books that you can start out with. There's Dissolving Illusions, which is one of my favorites. It kind of lays out the vaccine industry and a lot of things behind that. So Dissolving Illusions is a great place to start. I also think uh, if you're looking at just maybe kind of gently diving into some vaccine info, because a lot of times with parents, the, the spouse or the partner doesn't agree with what they are starting to research and find. So I, this isn't always the case, but one thing that I find is that oftentimes the mom or the wife is spearheading the like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. This doesn't feel right. But a lot of times the husband or the spouse is like, no, like you have to vaccinate. Like, no. Like, so there's a there's a, um, a kind of a conflict there in a, in a relationship. And so that does have to be resolved for sure. And so what I find is show the spouse things like watch the truth about vaccines. Watch that documentary. Um, read Dissolving Illusions. Read um, How to Keep Your Child Healthy in Spite of Your Doctor, right? Uh, look at uh, even Dr. Sears' book, which is an alternative vaccine plan, which at least kind of gently walks somebody into, hey, you know, start thinking about these things. So yep. there's plenty of resources out there. Once you, I will tell you, though, just how you mentioned earlier in this podcast, literally doing five to 10 minutes, most of the time your eyes are so wide open, you never look back. You don't actually need to do hours and hours of research. It's like five minutes and you're like, oh, what in the world? I totally get this. And then stick to that because that's your intuition speaking to you. Like stand in your power at that point. Absolutely. Other ones I've had like Robert Miller's review of critical vaccine studies. Yeah. That's four. He takes 400 studies of vaccines and breaks them down in like one page is one study. It's like all the highlights from that. It's you don't have to like comb through the stuff. It's like the cliff notes. That's a good one to get, that is a good one to have like a, a spouse or a partner that isn't quite there yet. Have them read that. Yeah, so good. I know RFK is coming out with a new one, Vax Unvax, and they're comparing. I think it's like sixty or seventy studies of vaccinated versus unvaccinated kids, and he was like, "We literally cannot find a study showing that vaccinated kids are healthier." He's like, we have tried and tried and tried. All of the ones that compare show the unvaccinated kids are healthier on all respects uh, of pretty much every measurement. Pretty yeah. wild. Uh, so that's a good one too. Okay. Um, advice for parents feeling frustrated or feel like you're not making progress with your kid on this journey. I think there's a couple things here and I'll share from my experience. When you're in the trenches you often don't see the things. So for me, part of it was really sitting and getting quiet and still for a few moments and going, oh, 
Like he actually totally ate that food or he said that word or he did that thing. And you, then you start to see the improvement. But when you're in the trenches, everything becomes kind of cloudy and murky and you don't see those little gains that you're making. You're, it's almost like you're looking for the dramatic overnight, he's healed or she's healed. It doesn't ever really happen that way usually, right? So that's number one is to kind of just really look for those micro moments that that you'll see them and you'll find them and look for the little wins and keep compounding those little wins. And the other thing is asking people around you that you trust and that who are in alignment with what you're doing. So for us, it was some of our family members that finally came along and started to see what we were seeing and started to really like, maybe they didn't agree with us at the time with our choice on not vaccinating anymore. And in fact, I know that they didn't agree at the time. I think that they were nervous for us, like our child was going to die and get sick from not being vaccinated. But in the end, they started to see that research like you're talking about. They started to do the research on their own. And so I would go to them and say, what are you seeing? And they would they would literally show me, look, he's doing this now. He's doing this now. He's doing this now. And I never saw it. I never saw it. So that's a big piece of it, which is in the trenches, we don't often see what is really happening because we're looking for that big, massive moment. And that will come, but it comes incrementally over time. So you really just have to stick to the foundation. So what I tell parents that I work with a lot is there's a lot of shiny objects out there, right? Like you could go to 10, 15 different doctors. You have to be really careful because you can easily get overwhelmed. And it's not like maybe those 10 or 15 doctors are phenomenal at what they do. Who knows? But there is a thing as too much. So if you stick to the core pillars, which is you're sticking to gut health, that is always sort of the, the lighthouse or the guiding light is gut health. So if you're always sticking to, hey, my goal is to have good, strong gut health. I know what that takes to do that. Probiotics, dietary modifications, lifestyle modifications, certain maybe oils and supplements and things like that, right? Things to enhance the gut health and that gut healing process. That is the, the, that is the foundation for all of it. Then you start to build around that, right? So therapy is going to be a piece. You mentioned therapy early on. I am not a fan of ABA. I think ABA is just as corrupt as any other medical system. I'm a fan of floor time therapy. So the best thing that parents can do is research Stanley Greenspan and learn floor time therapy and do it in your home. Find a therapist who will do floor time therapy with your child. That is critical. Therapy is a big piece. You can't ignore therapy. And then there's like, the mental emotional piece. Okay, how are we supporting our kiddos with releasing these traumas? Personally, I'm a fan of essential oils. I think they're the only thing that can do that effectively. They're the only thing that can get into that, that part of the brain. So you, you know, you're, you're starting with the core and you're building around that, but you, ha you do have to be careful because it's so easy to get into, uh, well, I should do this and then I should do this and oh, there's cease therapy and oh, there's now this, this bleach therapy, right? Like drinking bleach, please don't do that. Please don't do that. There's a lot of, you know, just stick to the core, stick to the core things that make sense and what actually, how the body actually works, <laughs> you know? That's awesome. So in you, especially the past two years, I've seen you speak out with all the BS, scamdemic, shots, masks, all that stuff. Um, I see your bravery every day and I, I love it. Like, your page keeps me going. I really appreciate you. For those parents who are struggling to find the bravery either to present this to a spouse or to question their pediatrician 
or to just do some more natural stuff for their family. Where do you, where do they find that bravery from? Uh, to be honest with you, one day you just go, I'm done and I'm doing it. There, you, you, it, it's almost like you do have to jump into the deep end of the pool. There's no, when it comes to bravery, in my opinion, there's no like stepping into it because if you're, if you're like gently stepping into the deep end of the pool, every little step is going to be coupled with fear because you go, oh, it's deep. Oh, I, I could drown. So you have to just jump in and you have to rip the bandaid off and say, I'm never looking back and I'm doing this and our lifestyle is going to be what it is and I'm committed. Some of that too is having boundaries. So what I tell parents as well is, well, guess what? If you feel like you're going to be duped into doing something in the pediatrician's office, why are you going? Don't go. Like, first of all, what, what is the purpose of you wanting to go? Are you really worried that your child is not healthy and you need someone to validate that your child is healthy or not healthy? Because you can validate that yourself. You're the parent. You know if your child is healthy or not healthy. So you're walking into a trap, basically. So if you feel like you're walking into a trap every time, whether it's a pediatrician or guess what, a family member, you got to have some boundaries. So a big piece of bravery is finding your boundaries and setting them and sticking to them and not putting yourself in a position where you're going to be trapped. No, I love that. And I think the past three years has been a big test in uh, where our boundaries are. And are you going to find that bravery? For me, I mean, we already had that. You already had that in place pretty solid where I'm not putting a mask on my two-year-old, my three-year-old, not never. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to vaccinate. Um, I'm not going to shut my business down. I'm going to do the things that are best for myself and my family, my patients. And that's just it. And when you step into your power and your bravery like that, I feel like God rewards you, universe rewards you because you're living and embodying that truth. And um, yes, you'll lose, you, you may lose friends, you may lose doctors, but the things that you gain far outweigh the stuff that falls away. So I hope that helps. Um, I wanna, I'm gonna wrap up here, Jody. Um, this has been amazing. What is one idea or censored truth that you want people to know? Oh, I mean, we're on this topic of autism. <laughs> so the censored truth is it's preventable and healable. It is not what they want you to think it is, but you can apply that to almost every chronic childhood illness today. If you take away the very minute amount of genetic conditions, which by the way, when you think about genetics, genetics don't have epidemics. Genetics are genetics. Like Down syndrome, it's the same as it always has been in terms of the incidence of it. Now, I mean, you could argue through abortion and things like that, that the, the data can be up and down a little bit, but just look at genetics, right? That doesn't, you, you don't have epidemics of genetic disorders. So where did this epidemic come from of childhood obesity? and ADHD, and diabetes, and autism, and all the things. I mean, they've even taken away Asperger's, right? So they'll, 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 do, they'll do little things behind the scenes to change things and move things around so it, it fits their narrative. But the whole point being that across the board, across the board, you take that entire topic of children thriving and not thriving, and it's a lie. I mean, it is a, a, an absolute 
corrupt lie being propped up by all of these labels and they come out with a new label every day. I think at, at our core, we're, our bodies are meant to be healthy and well, and we're here to fulfill a purpose on earth. That's why God put us here. Um, yeah, but thank you for being a voice for so many. Jody. I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, just love everything about you. Um, and you embody all the stuff you talk about too, as you walk the walk. So thank you so much. Your wealth of information and resources for most people and remind people again where they can find you. Well, currently, I always say currently because of our trauma, right? You and I and everyone else back in 2020 and 2021. <laughs> but no, really, you can always find me at thewarriorcenter.com because that will never go away and they can never take that away from me. Um, so thewarriorcenter.com and then also on Instagram, Facebook at the Warrior Center. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very easy to find and connect with. So feel free to reach out anytime. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jody. Jody's my partner in crime, multiple times deleted from social media. Uh, glad to hold that that medal up with you. So <laughs> thank you, Jody, and it thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> yeah. Thank you All for right, having me. Care. All right, bye. Thanks for joining us in this week's podcast. You know, we need more brave people like you who can share this message of hope and truth to a world that's completely upside down. If this podcast resonated with you, I'd ask you to share it with a friend or even better, share it on socials and tag me. For more resources on natural health, freedom, merch, and my mission, check out drsethgerlock.com. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode that comes out and leave us a review so we can spread these uncensored truths with as many people as possible. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you.